this this t right now today is uh, considered the high holy days. Does anybody? What do you know about Rosh Hashanah? Who who knows a little about Rosh Hashanah? The, the, there's not too. It is Jewish. Yes, it is Jewish. Go ahead. Tell me a little something about Rosh Hashanah that you know. It is the Jewish New Year. And uh, what's really interesting about the Jewish calendar is there's actually four different New Year's on the Jewish calendar. Um, but there is the, the, king, the calendar of kings. So there's, a, there's the beginning of the time that they, that they would celebrate each year in the month of Nisan, which is the first month in the Jewish calendar when the kings... Uh, when they actually emerged out of Egypt was the month of, of Nisan. So they celebrated the pilgrimage that the Jews had when they were liberated from the captivity of the Egyptians. Uh, and they consider that the first month on the calendar. But then there's the month of Tishrei, and Tishrei is the seventh month. And the seventh month was when they believed that the world was created on the, on the day of what's called Rosh Hashanah. And so Adam and Eve were created on this day, and it's the day they, they, they say it's the, the New Year's of people, the New Year's of animal, and it's the economic New Year. So there was a custom in, in the Jews had, and they practiced called Jubilee. Who can tell me what Jubilee is? Jubilee is an X-Men character. You're right about that. It's pretty cool, too. Uh, anybody else know what Jubilee is? It is, it is a celebration. So... This is good to know because uh, instead of having bankruptcy like we do in the United States, the Jews had an economic law that every 40 years, regardless of the debt that you had, every debt was released on the day of Jubilee. What's that? Yeah. Is it 50 years? Okay, I thought it was 40 years. It's every 50 years. I got to look that up again. I, I must have been wrong. Thank God we have Eric here. Um, <laughs> And, and last week I said something. I said that um, Bill, not Bill, Ben Carson is acting as the Attorney General, actually, or Surgeon General. He turned that down under the Obama administration, but he's now the, he's the Secretary of the Housing Administration. He's still very much involved with uh, government affairs, um, but he's really successful. I just wanted to throw that out there because I misspoke, and I don't want you to be misled. But um, the Jubilee was, imagine this, I, I owe you know, $80,000 on my house, and the great thing is, next year, let's say it would be the year of Jubilee, it's not, but let's say the next year is the year of Jubilee, I don't have to worry about that 35-year fixed mortgage, because I'm out of it, yay, that's nice, isn't it? You have that every 10 years. Uh, is that right? We need to have that. Every 10 years, yeah, we wish. But uh, that was their way of, that was their way of correcting the markets, um, and it was a beautiful system that they had. And a lot of times when you, when you read slavery in the Bible, um, it's not talking about a racial slavery, okay? It's talking about an economic slavery because that was the system. If you can't pay off your debts, how are you going to make it up to the person you're indebted to? You're going to work for them. So you can't give them money. You, you're indebted to them for their, your, your time until the time that you spent working for them would pay off the debt that you owe. So a lot of times when we read the scripture, um, and certain people have taken that out of context throughout history to distort the scripture, 
it was never a racial slavery. For the most part, it was an economic slavery. So, um, so this is, is the beginning, Tishrei, the first of Tishrei is the beginning of an economic new year. And guess what that was? That was October 1st and September 30th. So <laughs> Sunday was two days that we celebrated this Jewish uh, festival of Rosh Hashanah. And it's known as the Day of Trumpets. Okay, because the, the, the month before, this is really interesting. I'm, I, I promise it's going to make sense. If you understand this, this is, what, this is why this is important. Let me explain, because I'm teaching to you without explaining why you need to know it, right? So let me back up. This is the, this is the, the feast were considered rehearsals for the Jewish people, and God gave them the feast because they were symbolic of something that Jesus would do and fulfill later in his life. So we know that there's the, the feast of, of uh, first fruits, and on that day was Jesus' resurrection. We know that the feast of Passover was the day that Jesus was crucified. Now the Jews had been celebrating what they call Pesach, Passover, for years and years and years, and all of their traditions were actually um, nods to what Jesus would do. They would put their hands on the on the scapegoat or on the lamb, and they would, they would put all the sins on it. Now we know Jesus took all the sins, right, of the world. He became the lamb of God that was slain for the remission of sins. So Jesus was the lamb of God, and he was placed on the cross to take on sin, to become sin for you and I, so that we could be given grace, right? So the Jewish, it was on the day of Passover. That's how significant it was. So it was the foreshadowing that Jesus would come, and then it was the, the Feast of, of Unleavened Bread when Jesus was placed in the tomb. And the Feast of First Fruits was when Jesus was resurrected. He was the first fruits of those raised from the dead. And then it says that some time after that was what? What feast? What day? Anybody know? Shavuot. And we call it, starts with a P, Pentecost. And Pentecost, they celebrated it was the day that the Holy Spirit came and he settled upon them. They had cloven tongues of fire, right? So that's the first set of feasts. There's four and the first set. And Jesus, he fulfilled the first four in his first coming. But how many know when Jesus left, he ascended to the Father and he said what? What did he tell them? He said, I'm coming again. He said, uh, he said what? I'll be back. Hasta la vista, baby. No, he didn't, he didn't quite say it like he didn't quite say it like that. But he said, "I'll be back," and um, we know that Jesus is coming to return. So the set, the the second set of feasts, which is there's seven feasts in the on the Jewish calendar, which are the last of so the last three happen within this time period, and they will be the days that Jesus comes back. On, on the Feast of Trumpets, it will be the day that Jesus comes back in the future. A lot of the people say, well, we don't know the day nor the time nor the hour that Jesus returns. Well, that's true. And this is why it, I, I know that we don't know that Jesus is coming back on the exact day. Because according to the Jewish tradition, the Feast of Trumpets, it is the only day in the Jewish calendar and the only festival which takes two different days. It takes, so I was the, the beginning of it was uh, the nightfall, the third, it was actually the 29th, a nightfall, and then be, and it went over to the night of the 30th, and then on the night of the 1st at sundown, it was 
the end of the, of the Feast of Trumpets, which is Rosh Hashanah, which means, actually, Rosh actually means head, head of the year is what it's meaning. It's a new beginning. So it's this time that we have to reflect on God, and they would actually celebrate in Jewish culture and, and custom by having apples and honey because they believed that the, the new year would be sweet. It would be sweeter than honey, and it would be, you know, the, the, it's, it, I believe there's even something even more significant that's, that's revelation inside of that, is that what comes, what produces honey? Bees, and, and what do bees do? They pollinate flowers, and they also have a stinger, right? They can sting you. Isn't it, isn't it funny that something that, that can be so dangerous, certain people that are allergic to bees can produce something so wonderful and so sweet? Sometimes in life, it's, it's the things that sting us. It's the things that, that really hurt us. It's the things that can cause us pain that actually cause the most growth in our life. And that growth produces something sweet inside of us. It allows us to carry on and not be stagnant. Um, if, if it wasn't for the bees, like, like it was mentioned, there would be no pollination of flowers. Some of the most beautiful things in our life come from the most dangerous or the most difficult or maybe the most painful things in our life. My dad says that pain is one of the greatest teachers in life. And it is because a lot of times people, they don't learn from other people. It would be great if we did, right? Be, and they say that, that wisdom learns from other people's mistakes. That's what we want to do. We want to look at other people. We, uh, one of the things I'm going to do with him is, uh, as he's growing up, I'm going to take him. We're going to serve at, at food kitchens, and we're going to serve at, at soup pantries. And I'm actually, when he gets a little older, I'm going to take him, and we're going to, we're going to help people uh, by volunteering in, in places of rehabs um, because I want him to see what life looks like. Because a lot of times people say, you're either being helped or you're helping someone. There's no in-between. You, you, you get a sense of satisfaction from helping other people. And then there's a sense of uh, isolation and emptiness which comes when we're not assisting somebody else. When we're so introverted, we start to lose focus and then we lose our vision. And then we, we do things that are silly. And I, I talked about that last week about how the lady I talked to when she was in rehab, she talked about how we need to... We need to um, roll the tape forward. What does that mean? What, anybody remember what I said that meant last week? Yeah, think about the effects. That's exactly right. Nathan's spot on. Think about the effects of everything. What are the consequences of this decision? But when, when we don't, wisdom learns from other people's mistakes. Smart people learn from their own mistakes. And then what? Stupid people don't ever learn. They keep, they keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. And that's really the definition of what? Crazy. Insanity. Crazy. It's, it, it's when you keep doing the same thing and expecting different results, right? Um, but when, when we learn from, well, smart people learn from their own mistakes because the pain of it causes us to be different, to be better. It, I've actually seen it to where um, guys that are making a, a fool of themselves and aren't treating their wives right, maybe they're, they're spending money that they shouldn't be on alcohol or other things, the wives will separate from them for a time, and suddenly it's the pain of their family leaving them that causes them to wake up and say, 
my gosh, I'm going to lose the best thing that I have in this life. I'm going to lose my kids. I'm going to lose the only thing I can take into eternity with me, my wife, the things that matter most to me. So, so I know a lot of times we say, I wish I never had gone through that. But the reality is, if we look back on the, on the new year, we can look back on the old year and say, thank you, God, even for the pain I experienced last year. Because the pain I experienced last year taught me something that I didn't know before. Made me better than I ever was before and gives me a new perspective going into this new year. And one of the things I believe is really, really important to realize too is that our perspective is everything. Our attitude is everything. You know, I said this and I'll say it again that, that life is really 97% of Life is really 3% what happens to us and 97% how we respond to it. Some people would even go so far as to say life is 1% what happens to us and 99% how we respond to it. And that's difficult, but it's so true that people that have little and, and, and haven't accomplished much and have been very broken and very battered, very even abused, have still gone on to achieve incredible things. And that's what every one of us can do when we, when we say, I'm leaving the victim mentality in my old year, and I'm stepping into a victor mentality. I'm not going to allow myself to constantly be the person that, that everything, life is always coming against me. I'm, I'm going to take a, a back seat. I'm going to let Jesus drive the car. I'm going to give him the will. But I'm also, instead of playing defensively to life, always responding to what happens to me, I'm going to be proactive. And proactive people do something really important, especially during the new year. They plan ahead. They have a vision. It says, without vision, what happens? The people, who said it? Perish. The people perish. What does it mean, what does it mean to perish? To, to, to die, yeah, to die. Yeah, to be gone, to, to be no more. And, and I think that there's a lot of people... Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot more than, than, than corpses in a graveyard. There's a lot of broken dreams in a, in a graveyard. There's a lot of unachieved visions. There's a lot of unreached potential. And I don't want to live as those who have died. I want to live in such a way that every day I find purpose and every day I seize an opportunity to be a blessing or to help someone else. Whether that's just giving encouragement, a hug, a friendly text, saying something, putting a post out, man, I love the way you did this, telling somebody why you, you appreciate them, or telling God one of the things you appreciate in life, right? Um, but but it, it's so it's so much deeper than this. Um, this this time, the high holy days. There's ten days after. Rosh Hashanah, which is the, the Feast of Trumpets. And, and let me say this too. The 30 days leading up to Rosh Hashanah are called the Days of Repentance. The Days of Repentance are days that every morning they take a ram's horn and they... And they, they play... They, I don't have a ram's horn, so, and I, I don't even know that I could play one if I had one. Has anybody ever tried? Yeah, I tried and I didn't have one. Can you do it? Can you make a sound? 
It is so hard. It's like putting your lips up to something that's like less than a pea sized hole and trying to get it to make a make a noise. You have to like purse your lips and most of the people that do it, they're like they're spitting all over it. I asked my dad if I could borrow his and he was probably smart not to let me do that tonight. Uh, yeah, yeah, spit smells. Yeah. This microphone is gonna be bad by the time I'm through with this message. But uh but those, those trumpets are a foreshadowing of something that's coming. What happens when Jesus comes back? It's, it literally says that the, trump of, the trumpets will sound, the dead in Christ will rise first, and we that alive with our lives shall go to meet him in the air. We'll be caught up in the air when Jesus comes back. And... We don't ever know the exact day because on the, there's two days that the celebration of the festival is, is in line. So I think it's really interesting, though, to understand the Jewish culture because where did Christianity come from? It came from Jesus, obviously. But Jesus was what? A Jew. A Jew. Jesus was Jewish. So, so Chris, a Jew. God bless you. <laughs> And, and uh, our, our heritage comes from the origins that God gave the Jewish people. And he was giving them these clues about the coming of the Messiah, who we know is Jesus. Um, but I want to talk about repentance because it's during this time that the Jews believe that these 10 days after Rosh Hashanah, before Yom Kippur, and Yom Kippur is something we'll talk about in another time, it's called the High Holy Days, and in it, it's believed, according to Jewish tradition, and the Talmud and the Mishnah, those are, those are oral traditions that are passed down from the Jewish rabbis that, that were, were given to us, which are not the Torah. The Torah is what? Five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Mishnah and the Talmud, they teach you the Jewish practices of culture, which gives us an even greater understanding of what what God was saying. So they say in the Talmud, which is, it's not the Bible, but it is, it's enlightening, that God opens three different books on these days. That these 10 days, there's three books. One of them, you listen to me, guys? Good. Better always do that. Don't respect me. Uh, that, 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 that he, the first book is for the, is called what? Anybody know? The Book of Life. Yeah. And, and in it, they're written all the names of the redeemed and the righteous, right? Then there's another book. It's called the Book of the Wicked, right? And those people are damned to, a, a, to eternal death. And it's on this day that, that you have, and the, the third book is those that are in the middle. They're in waiting. They're, they're, not, they're not considered righteous. They're not considered wicked. But they're given an opportunity to repent before God so that he can give them a second chance. Now, what, what happened before Noah? God gave the whole world an opportunity to repent before he brought judgment. In fact, there was a guy named Methuselah, and it said, in the end, his name literally meant, in the end, it will come. And Methuselah is known in the Bible for one reason. Why? The oldest man that ever lived. Son, would you wish I used, would have named you Methuselah? We could have called you Meth. Nah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> you probably wouldn't like that. 
uh, Methuselah, the longest, the, the man, that, the oldest man that ever lived. He said, in the end, it will come. Why do you think God kept him alive? That's exactly right. God wanted to show his mercy towards man. He kept delaying it. He kept saying, oh, I don't want to do this. I, w I want man to correct itself. I want them to repent. I want them to be like me. I want them to be holy. What happened at, at a place called Sodom and Gomorrah? Abraham cries out to God, and he says, God, would you spare Sodom and Gomorrah if there's just 20 righteous people in the city? He's like, if there's just 20 righteous people, would you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? And God goes, yeah, I'll do that for 20 righteous people. And then he goes, oh, oh God, because he realized there might not be 20 righteous people in that city. Would you spare it for 15 righteous people? And God's like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it for 15. He goes, oh, oh, that's probably not enough. God, would you spare it for 10 righteous people? And how many know there was not 10 righteous people? He wanted to spare it. But he spared the people that were righteous, and some, and they weren't even completely righteous, but they were on the edge. And their names were Lot and his wife and his girls. And, and I, don't want to, I don't want to dive deeply into that story, but I want to say that even before Jesus came, before grace came, who came before Jesus? Prepare the way of the Lord. Who was it? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And, and John the Baptist is found... And, and I'm going to go there in the Bible really fast. In Luke 3, let's go to Luke, Lukey here, and Luke chapter 3. Lukey, Lukey, Tukey, Tukey. Anybody see that? No. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, Lukey, Lukey, Tukey, Tukey. All right, I did it. I went there. George, George, George of the jungle, watch out for that. All right, Luke chapter 3. Who's there? All right, I'll read it. Y'all are slackers tonight. Y'all need to get with the program. All right. It says this, that uh, I'm going to go to verse. That's talking, it's talking about John the Baptist. So we'll go to verse 2. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. By the way. By the way, I know this isn't my message tonight, but there's some people, and you would look back on the, on the old year, and you would say, I've been through the wilderness. And some of you that say you've been to go through the wilderness, you were so wild, you were the wilderness, okay? Like, you, you had some wild choices. You, you were acting, you were wilding out. You were not living your best life now. You were living uh, your worst life most days, right? But it's in the wilderness that God can reach us. But the wilderness in the scripture, if you're on the, on the wilder side of life, it was a place that you got away from everybody else, right? And you secluded yourself. You became, and it was a place of temptation. It was a place where Jesus was tempted because the devil came to him and he said, I want you to turn these stones into bread. And how many know the Holy Spirit had led him, says that the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and for a season to fast. So... The wilderness is a place where you grow. If you felt isolated, if you felt alone at times, if you felt um, tempted, if you felt challenged, the wilderness is a place of pain many times. And when I say wilderness, it's not like an American forest. When they when they talk about the wilderness of the, of the word, it's talking about the desert areas that surround Israel. 
And that's actually where the Palestinian Muslims will take their wives and drop them off in the desert if they're done with them. Like, they will die there. Yeah, that is, this is the place. I'm talking about a place that's rugged terrain. It's hot. It's, it, it, it's yeah, all that the Muslims have to do is say it three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And then they send them back to their family. If they don't drop them off in the desert, their father, the father, it's considered a dishonor to their father. And either the father or the brother will take the, the wife and and drop them off in the desert. But that's, I want you to get an understanding of where this is. It's dry, it's, it's hot, it's arid, it's lonely. It doesn't see, there's no beauty there. And, and if you've been in a place in life where you didn't recognize beauty, God can allow growth in that place. And it says this, that the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. If you're in the wilderness, it's a place where you grow in strength, you grow in authority, and you grow in understanding of God's word and in revelation because God's word came to him there. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, and he went into all the region around the Jordan preaching the baptism of what? Repentance for the remission of sins as is written in the book of the word of Isaiah the prophet. So I know that it's not fun to talk about repentance, right? Because that's, that's a harsh word, right? We should probably throw that word out of the Bible because we know God's a God of love, right? Nah. <laughs> but God, God loves us enough to give us every chance to repent. But every time that grace comes in the world, Jesus represented grace, right? Repentance always comes before grace. That's what I want you to know right now. That repentance always leads the way for you to open the door to grace. You cannot access grace except through the door of repentance. And a lot of people believe that they are living, they're living in grace, that they're saved. Uh, and the reality is they never shifted. They never had a mindset. They believed that, that what God did for us gave us a license to continue to live a destitute, sinful, and wrong lifestyle. When in reality, repentance opens the door to grace. And, and I'll read you what it says about repentance. Repentance, literally, if you study the word out, it, it's a word called metanoia, right? And sometimes it's hard to do that. It's hard to repent, so it can annoy you. But you're going to remember it that way. But it, it actually means a change of mind as it appears to one who repents of a purpose he has formed or of something he has done, right? Everybody has to repent because not one of us has, has lived a perfect life. Every one of us has made mistakes. But if we want to access the fullness of grace in our life, we've got to get down on our face. And it's not just shifting our actions. It's shifting our, our mind and our thinking. Because where does an action start? An action starts with an idea. It, you, you can never achieve something without an idea, right? You, you always think it before you do it. Your brain has to tell your body to move. So the brain literally is the place of, uh, is the control center. And with it, you can either 
be the master of your ship, or you can allow your, your ship to, to run you. Sorry, my little guy is being fussy. But, but how many have, have said, because it says that be not conformed to the image of this world, but be by how? The renewing of your mind. Literally, I know, I know that it's, the psychology teaches me that if I smile, I can trick my brain into believing I'm happy. And sometimes we think, well, that's so insincere and that's so disingenuous. Well, the reality is, I, I, I'll just prove a point really fast. Everybody in here wants you to think about your favorite gift you ever got. Think about, think about that person who gave you your favorite gift you ever got. Throw, throw out some ideas right now. Anybody? <laughs> going, going hunting. Your bass guitar. Somebody loved you enough to give you a bass guitar. All about that bass. No trouble. What? The car you drive. That's the first thing that came to my head was my 16th birthday. My parents got me uh, a used Camaro. And it, I didn't even know how cool it was at the time. It was a death trap, but it was cool. It was, it was like not the safest car I've ever driven. I, I actually drove it into somebody's yard one time between two trees. Didn't tell anybody. I got, I got the, the car mats out, put it underneath the tires to get out of the guy's yard. I never went to the door, never told nobody. I just, I just got home and shut my mouth. <laughs> but that was like the most amazing gift. Anybody else? My wedding band. Yeah. Bow, 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 bow. Uh, how, how, how do you guys feel thinking about the best gift you ever got? Don't you? You feel good. I mean, I feel good. When I think about that, when I focus on that, suddenly I think about it. Now, if I were to ask you, and I'm not going to ask you to do this, so don't do this. But if I asked you right now, think about the worst pain you ever experienced in your life. Boom! Instantly, every one of us would be in the dumps. So my point by that is you can train yourself through mental gymnastics to become a positive person. Mental gymnastics. You need some mental Bro, I'm going to the Olympics. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I like to hear. And, I mean, and how do I do it? How do I do it? By focusing this year on what I appreciate, what I have and not what I don't have. Because contentment is the thing that makes poor men rich, and discontentment is the thing that makes rich men poor. People can go through, they can have so much, they can have everything, and they're always looking at the person who has just one more thing than they have. I know of billionaires and millionaires that my the family that I, I have knows, and they're constantly worried about losing their, their millions or their billions. I've talked to bankers who said that the, the, really the people that have the best lives are the middle class because the people that are super wealthy are so worth, they're so worried about losing their wealth, the people that are poor don't have enough to, to make ends meet. That's interesting, isn't it? Contentment. I don't know. I see pictures of Mary Kate and Ashley, and they're thrown out on drugs. And Brad, Brangelina can't make it work for all their nationalities and their kids. And I mean, 
Robin Williams was one of the most amazing comedians of all time. And look at him. He had all fame. He had all the wealth. Michael Jackson, the accolades of the world. The, the king of pop, the most amazing, one of the most amazing talents the world has ever known. And yet, he wasn't happy. All those people. So I can tell you that fame doesn't produce happiness. Riches doesn't produce happiness. It's really, it's an internal adjustment that we've got to change the way we think. And repentance does that. It says, God, I choose to think about what you've given me. I choose to stop thinking about what I don't have, which is maybe my neighbor's wife or my neighbor's husband, right? I'm being honest here. And maybe it. It's it, maybe it's not your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's husband. Maybe it's the it's the person you were watching on the on the soap opera that looks so good, right? Or maybe or maybe it's the car that somebody else is driving, or maybe it's you know what I mean. I'm I'm changing because because adultery doesn't just happen when you act on it. Adultery, according to Jesus, says if you lusted after somebody in your heart, then you committed adultery. adultery. But you thought about them taking something off. It's adultery. I'm serious. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't describe their curves. Uh, <laughs> you get if a guy's driving through the neighborhood, right? If a guy is driving through the neighborhood, listen up, listen up. If a guy is driving through the neighborhood, and or maybe it's a lady too, a guy's shirtless, or the or the girl's wearing a sports bra, it's not a sin to notice somebody is an attractive individual and they're running in your neighborhood. But it's wrong to look in the rearview mirror as you're driving past. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a real person, okay? And I live in a real world, and I have real temptations just like everybody else. And I know that it has to do with my thinking. My thinking is where it's at. Sometimes it's not, it's not even my, it's not my wife that's a problem. It's not my girlfriend that's a problem. It's not my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister. My relationships are, are taking a penalty because I'm expecting too much or I haven't adjusted my measure of thought to appreciate who I have and what they've done. So this year, repentance starts with a change of mind. And, and I'll just, I'll quickly tell you this, that because I know that we're, we're getting there on time. We've got two minutes. Um, I'm going to read to you all the things that repentance does. I wrote this down. The repentance brings a time of refreshing according to Acts 3 and 19. It brings a discovery of mercy. It says mercy is found in Proverbs 28, 13. It brings grace and compassion in 2 Chronicles 30 and verse 9. And it says, though it actually, this one seems like a bad thing, but it's actually a good thing. Those who are loved, it brings rebuke and discipline, according to Revelations 3.19. Now, why would that be good, right? Because as an athlete, can I ever perform at a greater capacity without a coach telling me what mechanics I'm doing wrong? I, I'm just going to keep repeating the same mistakes unless I have somebody who is, is more trained and uh, has a better understanding so that I can correct what I'm doing wrong and I stop, I stop performing at a incomplete level, at a, at a level that, that's not my best, right? So it's, it's that. And I'll read you these verses just so you have them. 
Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Uh, it says this, that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as un some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Lord is so patient, especially with me. And I'm impatient, and God's patient with me, which means I, I could be more like him. But thank God he's patient with me, because I have, I have issues too, just so everybody knows. It says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And for the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. And then Matthew 3 and verse 8, which is where I want to go back. We were in, in chapter Luke 3, but um, three, it says this in, in Luke 3, chapter 8. And, in, and it says this several times in the, in the New Testament. You know it's important, right? If, if there's multiple disciples that are writing on it or, or gospel writers that cover it, it's especially important. Everything's important. But if it's hit multiple times, and this is, therefore, it says this, he said, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Guess what? You're the stones. He's talking about the Gentiles. He's not talking about just the Jews. Because the Jews thought that they were so great. And he actually, John the Baptist calls them brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So God always brings warning before judgment. And he offers repentance as a doorway for grace. And I just want you to know that everyone in this room has not gone so far as to not be able to receive God's grace through the doorway of repentance. And we got to shift our mind to do that. And it's so important over these 10 days, the high holy days, that you say, God, there's this in my life that has been a shortcoming, Lord. And, and, it, and a shortcoming is something that keeps you from coming short of God's best, right? It keeps you coming up short. Instead of coming together and, and living a full life, and living a fulfilled life, it keeps you coming short. It's a shortcoming that keeps you coming up short. You don't have enough. You feel like you're lacking it. You feel like you're missing it because you are missing it, and you keep making the same mistakes. But God is so gracious that he loves us. And this time period in the high holy days is an, is an opportunity for us to be refreshed and reminded to know that he always gives us an opportunity. And Jesus will come back. And he will give the world an opportunity to repent before he comes with the, with, um, the, uh, the new Jerusalem. But again, this is called Yamim Noraim, the days of awe. And, and I'll talk, maybe I'll go a little deeper into this next week. But ask God this week, Lord, in what ways can my mentality become more of a God-tality? In what ways can my mentality... This a mentality become a godtality. Can I think more like you? Can I act more like you? But I know that how I act starts with my thoughts, so I gotta clean my thoughts up before I clean my life up. And I, I know I have bad habits. My bad habits come from bad actions. My bad actions come from bad thoughts. So change my mind. So I want to pray that tonight, and I wanna I wanna bow our heads and close our eyes and. And I just want to say that if you need to, if, if there's so many, I'll talk about confession probably in two or three weeks, um, because it says that there's the fruit of confession gets us to a place 
where we're freed up. We don't carry weight of secrets anymore. Um, my grandfather said, you're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as the things that, that keep you weighed down. And, and you need to choose wisely who you confess to. You confess up and not down, but in order to bring accountability and structure and change. But let's, let's pray right now. Father God, we ask you to come into this room. Make us like you. Take our mentality that's a mentality and make it a God-tality. Let us think like you do. Lord, we want to think like you do. And we thank you for the opportunity that you give us to always, always, always have a chance, a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance, a sixth chance, a seventh chance. Because the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up to say yes to your love, to repent, to be different. And God, I'm asking you to make me like you. Forgive me of my sins. Show me how I can be better in your sight. Show me how I can be more like you. In Jesus' name. And, and, and this week, this next, between now and the time we meet again, because it's been three days, it will be, it will be uh, Yom Kippur, the next time we meet, and I'll explain what that means. But, but come with a journal or a diary, writing down the one thing. Now, I don't want you to bring, there's a lot we could probably change. Don't overwhelm yourself. Choose one thing, ask God, what one thing can I work on to be better at this year? Maybe, maybe it's, it's, it's covetousness, maybe it's lust, uh, maybe it is just a lack of priorities, maybe it's doubt, maybe... Maybe it's a, a sense of shame or grief that God didn't want you to bear. I, I don't, maybe it's fear that you've just been so panicked you won't try new things. I don't know what that is. But I want you to journal. I want you to ask the Lord every day. Write it down and choose one thing. Come back. You don't have to share it, but I want, I want to see it. 